It's party time. All right, sorry, I have to get my cheeks like. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Return Cart. My name is Chrissy. I'm here with my panelists, starting with. Oh, hi. I'm Martin. Ahoy, ahoy. This is Terry here. Howdy, this is Starla. All right, and we're here gathered together to talk about a few things that happened in the book and comic book community. Um, so sadly, probably most everyone has heard about this. Um, Stan Lee passed away uh, recently, uh, which is very sad, but he, he lived a really full life. He was, what, in his 90s? I think, yeah, he was, he was pretty old. I don't remember how old he was off the top of my head. I was thinking of George Bush because George Bush did die too. He oh my, yeah, actually, George Bush did just. George don't ask H. me how Legit. I remember how old yeah, he just, was. But. Just this morning, but, um, uh, Stanley was ninety-five. Stanley was ninety-five years old. Starla with the Google Foo. <laughs> Giving away trade what? secrets. I knew that off the top of my head. Yeah, of course. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yes, sorry, I meant Starla with her uncanny ability to remember all the small mm. details. With her photographic yes. memory knowledge of Stanley and his epic, epic, you know, creations. Oh, yes. So, one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys after hearing um, Stanley passed away is who's your favorite Marvel character? Oh, that is oh. so hard. Uh, I know you have a favorite Marvel character, Martin. I am Iron Man. Yeah, it's always Iron Man. Tony Stark. Um, man, actually, mine are not mainstream. Uh, I'd have to say, well, with the exception of um, of Invisigirl, you know, Miss Storm. Uh, she is pretty awesome. Uh, but I would have to say before that, it's probably Frigga from um, Thor. Frigga? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just because of the the way she kind of holds everything together, the way she deals with the betrayal of Loki, uh, the way she deals with the collapse of everything she really knows. And in the comic book, she does a really good way, you know, a really good job of, of pulling that together, even when, you know, they're forced to go back down onto onto Earth and uh, be reborn as mortals. So um, I have to really admire her spirit. What about you, Star? Do you have a favorite Marvel character? Uh, that is difficult. Uh, but probably Rogue or, I mean, any uh, of the X-Men, really. I feel like I just like Jean Grey. Ah, it's so hard. But the X-Men in particular, yeah. They're yeah. just so good. Yeah. Uh, did you watch the X-Men cartoon back in, like, late 90s, early 2000s, I think it was? It was on, like, Cartoon uh, or something? Yeah, I watched the one that was in the early 90s, and then I watched the one that was later on in the early 2000s. And the first animated series in the early 90s is actually how I got into comics. I didn't really follow them at all until then. Oh, no, same here. Actually, I think I am thinking about the one in the early 90s because my mom would wake us up on Saturday mornings. So like, like, are you talking about the one with the really great intro? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, where the Sentinels were in it and all that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember um, I loved X-Men, too. That was one of my first experiences with Marvel. And Wolverine always had this really close place in my heart. But the one that I 
um, loved the most throughout that series was actually Jubilee. Jubilee is really good. Ah. I love Gambit. Yes. Gambit's good. I feel like Jubilee gets a lot of hate. Like uh, my husband Marcus really loves Jubilee, but he gets so much crap for it. Why? She's a From other people. They think that uh, her her abilities aren't very impressive, like shooting fireworks out of her hands. And, you know, she's a teenager, so she's a little annoying, maybe. I like her. She's got I, cool clothes. I think that's why I liked her, because she was, like, the youngest X-Men at the time. And she had these powers that weren't, you know, these, like, godlike powers of some of the other X-Men to where she could get out of everything. Like, they're very specific in what she could do. Well, I mean, it's like Psychops. If we're going to, like, nitpick about, like, superpowers. <laughs> I mean, the guy can't even, like, go anywhere without wearing his shades. Well, so, like, can he drive at night? Well, what's Like, what happens is, if he goes into a movie theater and he wants to watch the screen? He can't see it, right? Well, what's interesting That's is fair. that came because of a head injury. That didn't even come because of his original powers. He was able to control that when he first had him. And then he oh, had a head injury. Because his brother has similar powers, but he can use his hands. See, she's pulling up stuff I can't even confirm, so. No, no, no. (laughs) I was like, it's true. Like, at the very least, in the show, it was true. (laughs) See, and that's the thing. Like, I love, my my first experience with Marvel was through comic books. Because our uncle was a huge DC fan. And, you know, no offense to the DC lovers of the universe. It's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. Be careful with that. Yeah, I mean. you're across from. Yeah, I know. And, and there's there's nothing wrong with DC. It's just not my my superhero <laughs> list of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, Eyes on you, Tara. Eyes <laughs> on you. Um, so that's how we got introduced into it. And so reading those comics and then, like, watching the TV shows or even the movies, there was a drastic difference in content. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people don't even yeah. realize that Blade is actually a Marvel uh, superhero. Yeah, he is. Uh, yes. There's there's a lot of like background characters that are really really awesome, and they don't get any like high uh, profile spot time. Like Cell, I I don't think a lot of people know who Cell is, but it, it, Cell is actually uh, a band uh, a member of one of the rogue um, X Men groups mm-hmm. in that timeline, and uh, he literally sacrifices <clears throat> his life to save his comrades. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I actually think that Marvel does a fairly good job of bringing out some of the more lesser known characters because they brought in Ant-Man, like, really, <laughs> of, all the, of all the superheroes you could choose I, to do. I feel like they're getting more brave after Guardians of the Galaxy did so well. Yeah, like, yeah, I think yeah. they're realizing that it's okay to take a risk on lesser known. But, I mean, wasn't, Ant-Man was an original Avenger, wasn't he? Uh, no, Wasp was. Don't look at me. Oh, I see. Well, you know this stuff more than I do. Uh, that depends on the realm. I mean, like Marvel and DC, they're huge, right? Right. And so, like, I'm a I'm a Batman fan, but I'm not gonna read Aquaman or Superman comics anytime uh, soon. Yeah, and so, it's kind of the same thing with Marvel. Uh, well, I think I think I read that Wasp was first, and then uh, and then they decided to make the I think the Ant Man come up later, but. I'm pretty sure Wasp was in there first. Yeah, Ant-Man is not one of the ones that I'm actually too familiar with either. Uh, He showed up in 1979. That was a pretty decent time ago. Yeah. Interesting. So, Martin, why do you like Iron Man? Um... Well, I'm a nerd, and (laughs) it's kind of like the perfect uh, combination there, right? Uh, He's kind of like the... uh, He's a Marvel version of Batman. So really rich guy, uh, yeah. intelligent, um, 
And so that's kind of why I just connected with, with Iron Man. Do you feel like you um, like Iron Man more after the movies came out, or was it just the same level of like? Oh, probably more after after the movies came out for sure. Yeah. Um, but that's because Robert Downey Jr. is just fantastic in that role. Isn't he so funny? Because um, admittedly, I think I wasn't. I was like never a Batman fan before. I think you came around. It was you and Kren that kind of converted me over to being uh, fans of Batman. Uh, but before that, it was pretty much just Iron Man. Uh, before our Iron Man was like number one, it was all Spidey. Ah, uh, yeah, Spider Man. Yeah. The web slinging, flippant person who always has a sarcastic comeback for every person he meets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Y- you got to love Spider Man. But again, it, it spends so much time. Because are we talking about Peter Parker? Are we talking about. Ben Parker? Are we talking about the alternate universes of Spider-Man? I was about to say, because Miles is now, Miles Morales is now the Spider-Man in the, I think, the Spider-Man universe. So it's 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 always shifting, just like Batman in DC. There's, I mean, are we talking about, like, the original Batman? Mm-hmm. Or the original Robin? Or are we talking about the ones that replaced them and got tricked? Are you I talking mean- about the 16 different Robins, Batman, <laughs> Batgirls, and Batwomans? Exactly. So, I mean, there's just so much. Yeah, so, sorry, going back to Stan Lee and kind of uh, the legacy he left behind with Marvel, um, it seems like he loved cameo appearances in those Marvel movies more than anything in this world. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you guys uh, remember any of your favorite Stan Lee appearances in, um, in the Marvel movies? Because I have two at the top of my head that I'm thinking about. And one of them is um, when he is playing the delivery man and he's like, is there a Tony Stank? And <laughs> That's a good one, yeah. There's the one where Spider-Man is delivering pizzas and he delivers one to Stan Lee or, or yeah. like he goes right by Stan Lee and he's like, look. <laughs> yes. I like the one in Ragnarok where Ragnarok where he's cutting Thor's hair. That was pretty good. Yeah, oh my God. That one was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Thor, no. <laughs> he also does a cameo um, for, uh, I don't know if a lot of us will actually know this, but I kind of do because I have kids, but Big Hero 6. Oh, yeah. He oh, does really? do a cameo at the end That's of Big right. Hero 6 because he is Fred's dad. That's right. I and, and, like I you walk in and it's like a superhero like cave. Like you, they mm-hmm. walk in. So, yeah, you know, for a movie that wasn't exactly his pet project, but he's right. still cameoed in. That's awesome. Yeah, I forgot about that. I forgot that he was played the dad of of that guy. Yeah, it was a really awesome moment for me because I was like, it's the Lee man, Stan Lee. Stan Lee. I heard that he was just like a really nice guy too. Like when people went to go get autographs or uh, photos with him, that he was just outstandingly nice to the fans that came up. That That is, you know, uh, as much as we always want our uh, our, you know, are super icons to be nice. Sometimes it does get a little overwhelming to be swamped by people constantly. And you can kind of understand that, you know, sometimes they're like, I appreciate the adoration, but maybe a little too much adoration. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, personally, it's kind of nice to, to have uh, someone that you admire. And Stanley, I think is one of those where they don't have all these allegations that are happening. We're not going to get too deep into that because that's going to be a whole different busted can of worms but but it just seems like he was pretty genuine yeah 
So another sad death also happened recently. And this one broke my heart a lot because uh, it was one of my favorite movies of all times. And it was one of my favorite books for many years. And that's the creator of The Princess Bride, William Goldman, passed away as well. And so, have you guys uh, read the book of The Princess Bride or watched the movie? Oh, yes, because uh, you lent it to me in high school. <laughs> That's right, I did. Huh? Read this! Read this! And it was really good. The book is fantastic. Yeah, I've seen the movie, but not the book. Yes. Oh, my it's goodness. so good. I feel like the book and the movie are both just really great. I feel like well, it's a I, good example of a good ad- adaptation of I think, a book into yeah. a movie. I think he was the main writer. For, I think yeah. he wrote the screenplay for his There's, own Yeah, I mean, adaptation. at times it's like word for word for what happened in the novel. Mm-hmm. Like, as it's happening, you're like, I get to see it. Like, you know, you didn't go into that and, and read the book and then, like, watch the movie where you're like, ah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, worse, like, for us, we weren't, like, around when it was first publicized or at least, like, able to read it on our own when it was first uh, published, but... Um, to to read it later on as we're older, and then to go back and watch the movie, you can actually enjoy it because there's no there's no letdown. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, what an epic story! It it was really good, and you know, um, I forgot who I was talking to about this. Or I forget I forget if I mentioned it on another podcast, but I thought that the story was an actual like real life mythology story, our legend, the like old classic story that he was just like abridging for his yeah i I went looking for that unabridged novel and i was like i want to find the unabridged novel i want to read about these trees yeah i think he just did such a good job of like flowing it in and then like the reasons he gave for not adding it in made so much sense to me as far as like if you are to abridge something that was like you know it must be real like it has to be. It made you really, I mean, it did. It It was, uh, man, I was so disappointed when I found out that it wasn't actually, you know, something that existed. I was like, no. Yeah. And I forgot, I even forgot what the book he called it was or what, if it was actually called The Princess Bride or if it was called something else. It was called something else. <laughs> Babe, did you ever read the book and watch the movie yeah I, I uh, both both yeah yeah i think we read the book in i think it was for school i you know you've been telling me all day about how you read these books for school that i'm just like why did i go to your school like, right this? i wanted to read the princess bride for school <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we read the princess bride and then uh we watched the movie in school too yeah right after. Are, are you serious yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm jealous. <laughs> Actually, that happened at Lincoln little, for me. That was Lincoln. Honestly, yeah. It happened at Lincoln Middle School for me. It must have been the year after me and you left. Or, no, you didn't go to Lincoln, but I did. Literally did for me, it had to me. have been the year like after you left because uh, you're you're a year older than me. So, Oh, my God. I'm so pissed now because I, I, I loved that movie. And I forgot where I saw it from. I think I just saw it while I was playing on air on TV. And just, I fell in love with that, that movie. Life is pain. And anyone who tells you different is selling something. I was like, Ugh. it's so quotable, but I kind of feel bad for the actors, right? Because you imagine now that they must go through their life and just constantly have these sound bites being told to them by fans. Inconceivable. 
Yes. yes. Or the guy who plays, my name is Indigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> oh, we forgot Stan Lee's favorite quote. Excelsior. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of quotes. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, I mean, from that movie, there's just so many. Like, to this very day, I watch that movie. And if I see it playing on, I'll just sit there and I'll watch it. Oh, and I'll start. I'll start saying the dialogue. I know it. Yep. <laughs> it's so true. It's interesting because William Goldman, I think, said that he was constantly surprised that out of all of the works he's done, and he's done a lot of really famous, like different screenplays and stuff, that The Princess Bride is the one that seems to have resonated the most with people over the years. Like, why do you think that is? Why? Why this? The characters. I think. I think he just had such a solid story that it. And it's funny because. You, you look at it and it's just this kind of typical swashbuckling adventure of the hero going to save the princess. But at the same time, like he had those large rodent things like it, it bridged the gap between the absurd. Yeah. And yeah. the, and the well, typical. Because a lot of it was over the top, like, for sure. You have this beautiful girl, right? And mm-hmm. she's supposed to marry the handsome prince and become queen of the realm. But right. it's actually the prince that is the villain. Yeah, and so you have this like, and and the the so called villain of the entire movie is actually the man that you fell in love with and has come to save you from the evil mm-hmm. villain. So it it's Martin's right; it bridges the absurd with like the reality of the situation, but it just also kind of just makes you feel like the good guy wins. Yeah, and also like I look at how they did. The, the plot in general, and I, I was reading this one person's, a little bit like a dissertation, they did like a whole uh, article on how, you know, comedy has to be rooted in something real. It has to be rooted to something that is a little bit heartbreaking. And Indigo Montoya was one of the best examples of that is it was funny until it wasn't, until it was real and in this moment of just really deep sadness, but it was still really funny up until then, like him constantly saying, I will tell the ma- six finger man, my name is Indigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> like, it was, it was absurd up until it wasn't absurd anymore. It was funny until it wasn't. And William Goldman in that work just did such an incredible job of making these out- outlandish characters very human in, in those moments, even Prince Humperdinck, for yeah. all of his absurd, uh, and I keep saying absurd a lot, but that's the only word I can really choose to describe it, is even as grandiose as he is, in that moment, he's just a scared guy who doesn't want to get beat up <laughs> by Wesley. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love Wesley's coat during that that entire scene is because he, you know, the, the prince honestly expects to be killed by him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, it's it's for the pain. And he's basically like, I'm going to take you off one digit at a time until you are so revolting to everyone else around you that no one will want to be around you. I know. And then when he's like, and all I'll leave is the ears, two perfect ears so that you can hear every child scream. Every And it all, he just goes off and you're just like, oh my God. Well, yeah. I feel like Wesley is supposed to be this like horribly romantic, incredible, awesome, the as witty. you wish, <laughs> as you wish. That is like his line throughout the, like when he's rolling down the hill as you wish. Mm-hmm. And um, to, to see him and to know that he's serious in that moment. 
mm-hmm. and to feel that anger kind of just resonate off the page and then to go into the next moment where he's you know lovingly caressing her and kissing her and getting ready to jump out the window with her, in her you know mm-hmm. in his arms and it's it's that that split take almost mm-hmm. yeah so i i think that's just it is he just managed to to walk that tightrope of really funny and just really in-depth characterization like i i think about uh the characterization of indigo and wesley in the moment that they're fighting on the cliff when wesley is climbing the cliff and and the guy's like okay i'll just wait for you up here (laughs) it's just this this very (laughs) as they're talking to him like as he's climbing up the cliff they're like a little help they're like no and it's just this very real moment of this character that is kind of supposed to be a villain at that time but he's not. He's just this guy who got hired to do this thing. And Wesley's just trying to save the girl. And how about I, the use of Andre the Giant? I love anyone got a peanut. <laughs> like, I love him. Like in that movie, like every single time you see him, he just reminds me of like a giant, soft, cuddly teddy bear. Like he doesn't even want to be there. He's literally the graceful, kind giant that's like, okay, I got to do this. Okay. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. So I think that's just it is he kind of laid that groundwork of being able to have a satire that was also serious, that also brought out emotion in other people. Sorry, I just went on a long rant about no, my would, love for The Princess Bride and why I think it's so amazing. I think everyone on this panel tonight actually can agree with you there. The the book, the movie, it's amazing. I would I'd honestly say that that is one of the only books that I will absolutely shove down my kids' throats and be like, you are going to read this book and we are going to love it because it is awesome. Um, I'm not sure if I, I know of any, like even the Harry Potter stories, which I love dearly, but uh, I would pick The Princess Bride over those stories to read to my, my kiddos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like I would read it on the days they were sick. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Like the little boy. Yeah, Fred Savage. Fred Savage. But yeah, I just sorry. Yeah, I just went on that whole like little little speech about my love of Princess Bride, and now I'm a little bit embarrassed because <laughs> we just had I have a- passionate feelings. <laughs> uh. Did uh, did anyone get to see the pictures where they had the reunion uh, for the Princess Bride? I saw some. No. Yeah, uh, I think it was like People Magazine brought back the actors. Um, and since Andre the Giant had passed away many years ago, they just had his picture in a frame. But yeah, they had all, the, all the actors and actresses. And it was just really nice to see. I was like, I missed this movie. <laughs> yeah, the emotional high point. Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good thing. Yes, yes. Sorry, do you have a clip for us? I was gonna try to find one, but then I realized I'm not, I'm not set up for that. So, <laughs> <clears throat> shucks. Okay, so going from uh, the the tragedies that happened and our love of Marvel and the Princess Bride, we now go into the tragedies of you know not googling things before you <laughs> post stuff. <coughs> And what I'm talking about is the author of The Children of Blood and Bone, uh, Tommy, Tommy? I think it's Tommy Adeyame, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, but if I didn't, I'm so sorry. But she posted up an accusation to Nora Roberts saying that, you know, uh, pretty much 
the titles were too similar and that she was stealing that title from Tomi. Um, and she, I will admit she has since offered a retraction, not a retraction. She offered up a kind of statement saying that she talked with Nora Roberts and that Nora Roberts explained the title to her, that she apologized to Nora Roberts and that they were good. However, recently, and I think it was yesterday, Nora Roberts issued, issued a statement very scathingly. <laughs> Have you guys got a chance to read it? Yeah. I yes. Yes. What do you guys think? I think it's fairly justified. I mean, honestly, my first thought when I saw the titles in question is that it's really a rather common sounding title. So I'm not surprised that two different authors thought of it separately. And if I were Nora Roberts, I'd probably be pretty peeved too, to be honest. Yeah. Admittedly, like there's a barrage of people like messaging uh, Tomi saying, hey, by the way, there is a series that came out the blood and bone series that came out years before. Yeah. I mean, I, I can name several titles off the top of my head that have, you know, blood and bone in the title. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and it's a fairly common practice to even just have similar titles. I think I talked with this about, uh, with, with Scott, right. When I was talking about man with Chihuahua and he was talking about how there's two movies of drive, right. Yeah, yeah. He did. Yeah called Drive, and then there's a movie with Ryan Gosling called Drive 2. Well, according to Forbes, I just looked it up, um, Edayame today issued a a statement. She said, uh, Nora was kind enough to reach out and explain that today was the first she'd heard of my book. After talking to her, I believe our titles were created in isolation. I'm grateful she she explained, and I've apologized, but I wanted to address it here as I know others were upset too. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about is that she posted that kind of thing. But Nora Roberts' statement came after that. Really? Yes. <laughs> because Let's see if um, I can find Nora Roberts' statement real quick. Yeah. It, it's quite yeah. long. It, um, it is it's very a little long. bit long. And she does not name Tommy yeah, in her statement. I wouldn't by the say way. that her her statement is anything that, you know, is inappropriate. There nope. she doesn't name the other author. She implores her fans to not barrage the other author Mm -hmm. um, over this. She basically states that she didn't think that social media was the right platform to address this and that there were other people that the other author could have, you know, talked to before going to social media that Mm -hmm. maybe could have answered those questions if she had them. Right. Well, and, you know, I, I think the problem I had with that post that Martin just read was that no one has to explain their title to another person. Titles are not copyrighted, and it's just ridiculous to think that someone can come up with an all-brand-new original title all the time. We were kind of talking about this earlier when I said, you know, it's like someone trying to um, copyright a a cupcake. It's like... Is it like some super ultra fancy cupcake that like no one else has ever made before with like special ingredients or are you just trying to take cupcake off the market? Cause there's a lot of cupcakes mm-hmm. and that's kind of what it feels like. And I can understand being a little annoyed that an author has a similar title, but I mean, there's only so many titles out there, especially if, if the book isn't, you know, in that same genre or that same category, then obviously they're not trying to, you know, take your work from you. Right. You know, it's just a title and it 
has a completely different premise and a completely different storyline. Well, and every everyone um, likened this to the time when this romance author was trying to copyright the word cocky. Like that's that's what this feels like that that you're trying to take something that's fairly common and fairly roundabout, but you're trying to make it this special thing. And for for one, I'm wondering what made you think it was a good idea to attack a famous romance author who has 20 something books. Yeah. yeah. See, that's the part I don't get Eight. is that Tommy said Nora Roberts is trying to profit off of Tommy's fame, but Nora Roberts is one of the most famous romance authors in the world. I'm pretty sure after writing hundreds of books, she doesn't need like a promotion boost. You know, I think she's all right. Why yeah. would she risk it all and steal something from someone yeah. else? There's like five authors off the top of my head that when they write a book, I have no doubt that they'll sell out because they hit the bestsellers list all the time. Tom Clancy, Danielle Steele, Nora Roberts, Stephen King, and Dean Koontz was on that list for a while. Yeah, he was on that list for a while. So, like, why would she need to ride coattails off of anyone? I I kind of feel like it was maybe she felt the way, but in essence, it kind of she's kind of doing exactly what she is accusing Nora Roberts of. Because in actuality, what it's doing is it's boosting promotion for her own novel yeah that's, that's true i hadn't heard of her book at all yeah i've never out. even heard of her as an author i and- did i i heard of her book through both the book blogs and from the youtube channels who are promoting her book as well okay. and i actually heard of fairly decent things um that well and this so, is pretty darn scathing. I'm actually in the yeah. middle of reading it. Like, wow. The yeah. Nora Roberts? Oh, yeah. So real quick, this is just a little quick excerpt from it. Um, it says, By accusing me in public of attempting to shamelessly profit off of her creativity, she incited her readers into attacking me on, on her feed, then on my pages, then on the internet in general. She did nothing to stop this. I've been accused of theft, of trying to use this the first-time writer whose book has been well-received for my own profit. To write her coattails, I have as I have no originality. This after more than thirty years in the business with more than two hundred books, I was accused of plagiarism. <laughs> yeah, for a title of stealing her, her ideas, though I have never heard of her book before this this firestorm. Have never read her book, and trust me, I never will now. This is what happens when a reckless statement is made on social media. It becomes a monstrous lie that spreads and grows and escalates. I don't know this woman. She doesn't know me. She let the match foolishly, perhaps being young and new and so recently successful she doesn't fully understand the relationship between a writer and her readers, or the power of an ugly insinuation posted on Twitter. But God, you should know how tools work before you use them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And never once does she mention her name in that. And she actually, I think she explains why. And she says, I don't, I'm not mentioning her because I don't want my readers to go after this person. And I think that like, which is taking the high road. Yeah, that is. And like, I, I applaud Nora Roberts for being able to use her skills on. Yeah. I mean, she's basically saying, I'm not happy with this. This is not okay, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to retaliate. That is not who I am. Yes. I'm going to put out a truthful, truthful statement to what is going on. And if you're a fan of me, continue coming back. If you're not happy with it, mm-hmm. that's fine too. But this is the truth. And yeah. you can respect someone that's willing to go out and be like, no, this is not okay. And even admitting that this should have been handled in a more private, professional manner mm-hmm. than, I hate to put it this way, and do forgive me, 
you know, a petulant teenager getting upset at a friend for not being invited to a birthday party and then spamming it all over Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Well, and I think, so my thought to this was that humans have always been a little bit knee jerk when it comes to their reactions on things, right? You see a headline or you get told something and you have a knee jerk reaction to that. That's, that's natural. That's human. But the problem with modern day is that we now have tools in order to spread that knee-jerk reaction across many, many people. And so that's what I think happened today, is that she originally saw this, saw, thought, you know, hey, my book is titled very similarly, and, you know, it's doing well, so what the hell? But then instead of thinking, oh, wait, it takes, like, years for books, even when they become accepted by a publisher, to get out in the world, and maybe she already thought of this title before my book was published. Instead of thinking that, she just automatically went off. And I think that's kind of the problem that we're seeing today. That's what the problem that this whole situation garnered. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it is a lesson to, to, you know, learn from and take from Mm -hmm. when any of us, no matter who it is, post something, you know, on social media, that's there for everyone. It is a digital record of what you're saying and how you feel. And you need to be a little more mindful of it. I mean, it's not like you talking with your friends intimately at like, you know, a get together over dinner and you're, you know, expressing your opinion. You're expressing it publicly and it can come back and look bad on you. Yeah. That's very true. Sorry, I'm trying to look for something because um, my favorite... My favorite reaction was from an author who, and I'm trying to find his name because I remember the, uh, ben, sorry, he wrote a book called, um, uh, like children of virtue and vengeance or something like that. Uh, yeah. Children of virtue and vengeance. No, that's Tommy's book. Sorry. Tab- Tabitha Vargo. Was it her or was it Peter French? I think it was Peter French. Peter French has a series and one of the titles is like Virtues and Vengeance. And Tom, Tommy's next book is called The Children of Virtue and Vengeance. So his response to her was, please remember my book came out first or something along those lines. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he was all, just in case. <laughs> yeah, well. I think that was my favorite response throughout any other person. And just to think this whole thing could have been avoided if she had just talked to her people or sent Nora Roberts an email, like it all could have just been nothing, but instead it, uh, but now people are dragging her through the rain and the mud. Well, and I think what kills me is that if you're going to, you know, um, accuse someone of copyright, then you have to be very sure you have to be so certain. And what kills me more is that there's authors who could very well sue for copyright, but they don't. Yeah. And I, I think of um, the Twilight author, Stephanie Meyer. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey started out as a fan fiction of Twilight. Got turned into a book. All of that was changed with the names. And then it made how many millions of dollars? A lot. Movies, books, tons of people. You want to talk about copyrightable material. Stephanie Meyer could have easily made a case, but she didn't. I actually, and granted, I, I commend 
uh, Stephanie Meyer for not doing so, for kind of taking that higher ground and just letting that other person have their excess sex. E.L. E. James, I think her name is, for Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, yeah. Hell if I know. I'm not sure. It's not one of those series that I've read, <laughs> yeah, honestly. Again, you know, if that's if that's the stuff you like to read, there's nothing wrong with it. Just yeah. not my my genre. Yeah, nothing wrong with it. Not my genre either. Um, but but yeah, like she could have easily taken that road, but she didn't, and I think that's amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, and um, you know, there's a part of me that feels a little bit bad for this this author, uh, because it is just a mistake that any of us can make. But again, mm-hmm. you know, we always have to be aware, especially when you're putting yourself out there professionally and it's going to look on you. Mm-hmm. You always have to make sure that you're not slandering someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's essentially kind of what happened here. I mean. And the internet doesn't forget. And the internet doesn't forget. It's a <laughs> digital record screen, that's going to be there for a long time. Everyone like screenshotted that like a million times. Betcha. Like <laughs> receipts. <laughs> yeah. And then one last thing for um, speaking of fan fictions that are getting turned into movies. So there was a Wattpad fan fiction of One Direction called After that I guess got turned into a book and is now becoming a movie. And the names have been changed, but it was originally Harry Styles who had, um, who was the. <laughs> The poor guy. <laughs> I'm like, sorry. I can't help but laugh because I'm imagining as a real person, if I ever came across a fan fiction about myself. How what? awkward would that be? Yeah. And especially one that has sex scenes in it. Like, you're like what? <laughs> I'm sure that's a little disconcerting. You're kind of like, uh. Now, no judgments to anyone who reads or writes fan fiction because I was there too. High school throughout was. I've written my own. Yep. Yeah, it's out there in the world. <laughs> Cringeworthy. <laughs> in the recesses of fanfiction.net. <laughs> but that, I never really got into real person fanfiction. Yeah, mine were always like, oh, look, I got sorted into Slytherin House. Awesome. You know, that kind of thing. Like, I'm in the world, but I'm not, like, you know, basing it off of, you know, some famous real-life person. It's like, oh, look, it's Harry Potter, or it's, I don't know, My Little Ponies or something. Don't quote me on that, but just something. (laughs) I feel the odd man out because I never, like, read or wrote or really did anything with fan fiction at well, all. And it's it's funny because the other day, so actually I should ask you too, Tara Sorla, can either of you tell me, and maybe start with you go first because I know you know the answer to this, can you tell me what a Mary Sue is? Uh, oh, that's so complicated. But yeah, <laughs> it's basically wish fulfillment, writing yourself, and it often tends to be a female character. That's usually perfect and beloved and very powerful with almost no negative points unless she's like clumsy or something. And then it's like the cute adorableness of a negative attribute. It's not even yeah. something that would really be annoying. It's like, oh, look, she keeps falling over herself. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, she can't cook and she just burnt everything. It's a very minor thing. I had no and idea. I think Go ahead. It, it has a good, it has a place. Like a Mary Sue, I feel like has a place. Like, when you're young and you're writing and you're inputting, 
yourself in the stories that maybe you haven't seen a character like yourself in stories. Like I, it felt that way when I was younger, like strong female characters I felt were, were far and few in between, but when you're putting it out there for everyone else to read, I feel like that's when it starts to become a bit of a problem. Yeah. Well, and so I say this as Martin said, he had no idea that this was a thing. And when nope. that got brought up, um, because we were watching this YouTube video of this guy saying he had never heard of the word Mary Sue before. And I just went into this whole like surprise, yeah, like, like, are you kidding? She was like, no, oh, shit. Of, that's I, BS. And he was like, I've never heard of it either. And I was like, what? You've never and heard then of Crin, Mary Sue and Gary Stu? And, and Kren was like the same way. He's like, I've never heard of that at I all. I was so surprised. I was so shocked because we've known that phrase since what? We were 14, 15? Yeah, but I really feel that that is kind of, and it, there are guys out there that know the term, but yeah. I feel like it's it's kind of more geared towards girls. It, yeah, it, it's kind of like, hey, you could be this Mary Sue, and you could be almost perfect if you act like this, because you really are trying to envision yourself as that almost perfect, like popular, super athletic, super intelligent, <clears throat> you know. Maybe can't cook, maybe, you know, can't run without tripping over themselves, something. But you you want to be that person. I think a lot of girls find themselves wanting to be perfect. Well, and I think I think both you and Starla have it right on that dot. And especially when it comes to when you're first writing your own stories is you want to see someone like yourself, like you want to see someone like you, because as back in the early 2000s, I, I think when we were growing up, the only strong female characters that were getting regularly put out there was by Tamara Pierce for me. Mm-hmm. Like that was the big one um, that I could remember off the top of my head. And I think Animorphs had that too, but you didn't have it a lot. Alex Mack. Alex Mack did. Oh, Alex Mack. I don't remember Alex Mack. Oh, there was a lot of Alex Mack. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nickelodeon but, had like their, their book series had mm-hmm. a, a decent amount of, of strong female characters. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't like mainstream. Most of the, like the, the novels coming out, like, like, you know, mm-hmm. adult novels that they didn't really have it. I, I can say that, uh, my first experience with a strong female character in a novel was actually Anne Rice, uh, mm-hmm. the witching hour Rowan. Okay. Uh, she was an incredibly strong character. Um, I have not read that either. Uh, Anne Rice does strong female characters during the, um, the, the, the witching hour series and the, um, goodness, I cannot remember this, the, the, um, second series to come out from that same line. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, I think I stopped kind of reading Anne Rice after, um, stuff went down back when fanfix.net was first starting coming out because it's like, if any, if any of you younger folks read fan fiction now, you don't see the disclaimers like we saw them when we were writing, writing and reading fan fiction. Is like in that early two thousands or and in the early nineties when the internet was you know first booming and popping, you know. But all at any time you wrote a fan fiction, you like wrote this disclaimer saying, "I owe nothing. I'm not getting money from any of this." So that way, you did not get cease and desist letters. From authors, I still and, see some of that. Like, uh, and mm-hmm. I don't read fan fictions that often anymore. But occasionally, I'll be like, mm-hmm. "Oh, hey, look, there's this one author that's really good," and they will still post that up, like right before yeah. you go in. They'll be like, "I do not own this. Mm-hmm. I can take no credit for it. This is mm-hmm. just my idea of what might happen if I could write this." Right. 
Well, and most of this came because Anne Rice like sent cease and desist. Oh yeah, Anne Rice is a notorious non. Well, she went after some peeps. Like it got bad, but to the point where I can't really pick up an Anne Rice novel and think I'm just going to enjoy this because all I think of is just put it down and run. Again, with the, the, the massive vampire love, like, that really started, like, hardcore after you got uh, the interview with the vampire movie. Oh, my God, yeah. And then you got, um, forgive me, I cannot remember all of the um, the titles. Uh, uh, Queen of the Damned. Queen of the Damned was the other movie that uh, Anne Rice made. And after that, you know, it like really exploded because again, you know, they made the vampires sexy and alluring and romantic and tragic and just, you know, oh, so delicious. And that, you know, young girl mind, they're like, I will save you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Anne Rice did that a lot. That was, you know, if I didn't love her for the author that she is and can be, I would not be able to do it either. Like, I think all I've read from her is Interview with the Vampire. Have you read a lot of Anne Rice, Star? I did more when I was in high school. I haven't touched any of it recently, though. I've yeah. read everything besides her Sleeping Beauty books. I've I've never read Anne Rice. So I I said I've read one book, and then all of a sudden, like the claws came out of Anne Rice at everyone else, and I kind of just dropped it since. I think it's that I really fell in love with Lestat. Like I love his character mm-hmm. in the book, not the movies. The book. There's the difference. You don't um, love Tom Cruise? No. You don't like him jumping on couches? What's <laughs> up with this, Tara? Again, that book was actually written by you know in Lewis's perspective. The rest of the books are written in Lestat's. So just throwing that out there. Um, but yeah, uh, after the the first book, when I actually read uh, the the second book of the series, I was like, "Wow, this is really good." It's not just some whiny vampire complaining about his undead life for hundreds of years. Uh, <laughs> so, but um, I don't know. It's so always guess- interesting with the fan fiction stuff and the authors, right? Some of them are like completely okay with it, and others are like, "No, don't you touch my stuff." Well, I think it's it's that you know. Some authors, that's my sandbox. <laughs> Please don't touch my sandbox. And then, I mean, uh, there's, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, sir. Uh, I, I can kind of understand. I think if I was an author and I was writing something, it would be a struggle to make sure you don't read that fan fiction. Cause you, what you don't want to happen is someone to be like, oh my God, you stole my idea from my fan fiction and now you're making money off of it. That was actually something that was talked about. Um, well, didn't Mercedes Lackey go through that or was it a different author? I'm not sure. I, I do know that there was an author that went through that. I also know that there are several um, writers for television shows, uh, specifically the writers for Rick and Morty, uh, refused to watch YouTube videos about Rick and Morty theories because they're like, look, once, you know, once that gets into my mind, it's going to cloud my ideas for what's like actually going to go on. And, you know, I don't want me to have this idea and someone else to call it out of the blue and me to be mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't want to do it now because they, they know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, you know, I can definitely understand where Starla is coming from. It, it is, it's, it's, it's like someone messing with your baby, right? That literally is your, your, your writing baby. Mm-hmm. And it's like, don't touch my baby. Yeah, Leave my baby alone. No, I, I don't know how I would feel about it because I don't have a book out, but um, I, I, I hope that I kind of walk that tightrope between those because I know that I, I would want to like, if someone wrote, 
a, a fan fiction that was kind of just weird, I'd be like, what is this? Like, you know, how some people do. And then, but at the same time, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily want people to think that they can't explore kind of their own ways of storytelling. Because admittedly, when, when I wrote fan fiction, it wasn't, it wasn't because I didn't want to write my own ideas, but it gave me kind of a framework of how to, of how to build a story around these characters that are already there. And then later on, I could start building my own characters and my own storylines and my own world. Yeah, kind of like a jumping off point. Yeah, it was a nice yeah. jumping yeah. off point when I was like 15 and didn't know like how to write anyone other than the angsty 15-year-old Christina who's emo poetry is probably out there somewhere in a box <laughs> that needs to be set up. I'm going to go find that online no. and then I'm going to post it on the blog. All you people listening, you, if you want to see Christina, it's oh like, no. God. <laughs> uh, as a bit of an aside, do you feel like the relationship between creators and readers or viewers has changed over the years? I feel like these days there's more like entitlement from viewers oh, and readers. Oh like my goodness. Yeah. George oh, R. Martin yeah. not finishing his books, Patrick Rothfuss not finishing his books, and people get angry, or if a show goes in a different direction, like a pairing doesn't get together, then the fans harass George the R. Martin, yeah. going through that right now because he has not put out the next installment of the book. Yeah, in no, fact, he, he a wrote a thousand page book that's a prequel. And everyone's like, if you could write the prequel, why can't you write the next one? And he's like, look, I needed to get this out of my system before I finish this one. Yeah. Well, Do you also, think readers are entitled? Like, should I, they feel that way? I think they feel that way. But I think I think it's a little kind of selfish. Mm-hmm. It's like asking an artist to repaint the painting because you didn't like the shade of blue that they drew the sky with, you know? Well, not only that is that I think I think it's incredibly hard on authors who like say don't have all their works in a series written and then part like the first couple of books become really well received and get a lot of press because George R. R. Martin's books have been out for years. Yeah. They've been out for years and years and years, years before the the show came out. Then all of a sudden the show came out and a lot more people's eyes were on it. And you know, a lot of people look at George R. R. Martin like, well why can't he just finish it and all this other stuff. Well when you have strong expectations of yourself and you're trying to live up to the quality of the books that you wrote beforehand, I think that gets to you. And then when you just have this constant barrage of people like at your doorstep are like mailing you books of misery. Well, yeah. I mean, nobody else that, that get, that gets to you mentally. And I think that can create roadblocks in how you're going to move on from that. And then also not only that is he's dealing with that, the show is going on past his books. Yep. So he has to figure out what he's going to do in his book wise, because guarantee there's going to be people who bitch and complain if he follows what the TV show does. And there are going to be people who can bitch and complain if it goes different. Oh, and that's something they've been doing with for a long time with like anime and stuff, right? Where they have a manga that comes out and the show just catches up to the manga and they have to usually diverge paths, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah, I think I the, I think with the access that people have, but sorry, go on. Oh well, I mean, just getting back to, to Star's question, I think that um, it's a really weird uh, tightrope that the con- uh, content creator now has to walk uh, with social media because, and you kind of see it across all spectrums. Like we were just talking a little while ago about about Blizzard off the air. Um, 
it's uh, it's gotten to the point that because everyone has this immediate access, uh, some people are really thankful to be able to speak with their their author or their favorite video game creator. And then you you have a tendency to the the internet kind of acts to amplify a lot of people's negativity, mm. and so usually it's the negative individuals among us that uh, make the most noise. Mm-hmm. And I, so, like like in the in the case of like uh, Blizzard, right? Um, from my perspective, like Big Dill, if they release a mobile game, which is the big hot topic, but certain people just freaked out about it. Right, and it was. It, it, I, don't, I honestly think that the vast majority of people understand George R. R. Martin's position as far as taking a while to come out with a book, but the internet gives them that microphone and that platform to be able to very loudly express it towards George R. R. Martin, and so yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Not if it's only like that, a, but it demystifies our 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 literary and cinematic um, idols. Uh, whereas at a point in time, if you really wanted to contact someone that you liked, you took the time to try and find where they were, a place where you could send a letter to them. And you were thankful if you got a response. It wasn't just like, oh, I expect it. You were like, oh, my God, they wrote back to me. Look, they wrote back to me because you were like, wow, they took the time out of their schedule to tell me that my opinion of, of sending, you know, the time I spent mattered to them. And nowadays, I, I feel like with social media, uh, our generation and even younger and even some older generations kind of they're, they're taking that for granted. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not seeing these people as artists. They're seeing them as people that should demand on a on a time frame schedule. Oh, OK. I mean, they're not conveyor belts. They're, they're not. Well, I think the factories. grossest, grossest reactions I've ever seen have been when. You know, if if I try and say, well, George R. R. Martin's doing his best, like he's trying to write, and it's just really hard because you have all these people being kind of jerks about him taking his time and pretty much saying that he's going to die soon and that's why he needs to hurry up. Like that, that's going to get to a person's mind. Every time I defend someone like that, if they're famous, I get the response of, well, then they shouldn't have become writers or they shouldn't have become actors or they shouldn't have become pretty much creators as if that's. People are human people. Yeah, like, people are human. They live lives. <laughs> they may be our creative, you know, superheroes. But at the end of the day, they still have to go home. They still need to, like, feed their bellies. They still need to rest. They're not just on 24 hours mm-hmm. a day. And we can't expect people reasonably to be on 24 hours a day. And they all have feelings. You and know, they have feelings. Like yes. People. I mean, I how, feel how would you so feel? bad for Patrick Rothfuss, oh, yeah. especially for the name of the wind author, because anytime his name gets mentioned on Reddit, Facebook, or he posts anything, I guarantee the first comment is always shut up and get back to writing your book. Why are you streaming video games? Why are you doing charity work? Shut up. Right. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, really, really. I mean, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's like, um, I think like social media has given people, certain people, the, uh, the feeling of entitlement. Right. Well, now that I can reach out and talk directly to this individual, you know, I can I can directly influence what they're going to do and when the content's produced and how it's produced. And it's just the most remarkable thing to see people like in my mind. I'd never think like, if I get to talk to one of my favorite authors. Well, now I get to pressure him to you know put out his next book. What the where on earth does that thought come from? You know? Yeah, I have no clue. You know. I think it comes from people who have no experience with the creative process themselves. It's not an easy process to go through. I don't know, because I've seen it from people who 
like are going through the creative process even, too. Even that? Okay. Oh yeah. Because like I would see um, like people who are trying to write their own books are trying to um, get into the business are even in the business being like, well, all these other authors are getting out their, their works and everything. I was like, guaranteed those authors don't have as much pressure, nearly as much. Or even if they did, it doesn't really matter. Like just because they're able to do those mean that another person can. I'm, I'm going to urge all of our listeners and, you know, just everyone in general, um, go back to like when you were five years old and your mother told you, uh, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. I mean, think about what you're saying to these people and how you would feel if that was directed towards you. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the best advice I can give everyone. Like, think, would I really want someone to tell me this? How would that make me feel? And is it okay to make someone else feel that way when I wouldn't be okay feeling this way? Well, not only that, I I applaud like George R. R. Martin and Patrick Rothfuss for not being as petty as they probably could be. Seriously. Yeah. I think it, like modern day authors and content creators in general have it worse uh, than ever before because of social media. You know, um, just like you were talking about Nora Roberts earlier when I was reading uh, mm-hmm. her, her, uh, her blog, you know, um, being an author isn't just writing a book nowadays. Now you have to worry about, you know, full on interface on a constant level with your, your, with your community. We cut out for a second. Sorry. <laughs> Full on, uh, yeah, with your community, and so uh, it's it's like the the job of an author has gotten even harder mm-hmm. as technology kind of advances in that direction. Yeah, I've seen some publishers when they're trying to take new authors, and like the list of requirements now has something like it's a bonus if you have like a strong social following, or yeah. you know you already have this fan base, so now you have to work these social media brackets too. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, so. Granted, I love social media. It has given me this platform to be able to talk with people and to really connect with others about the things that I truly love. But at the same time, I do feel for the people who get big and who have to deal with all this BS on on just living yeah. their lives. <laughs> yeah. I mean, social media is a great tool, but it's a tool and we should know how to use it. Yep, Nora Roberts. Nora Roberts. (laughs) Nora Roberts. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that's such a hard thing. Like, I've seen um, actually Chuck Wendig. So I've never read his books, but he um, has been writing books for Star Wars since Disney's remake of it. And he was writing the Vader, um, Darth Vader um, books to it. And he ended up getting taken off of that project because of his use of social media and being political on his social media. Oh, ouch. So I think about that, too. Like, like people can't even really say their own opinions without getting backlash from their job prospects. And that happened with what Roseanne Barr, too. <laughs> yep. Well, and I guess it depends on how you feel about that kind of stuff, right? Um, because we've kind of elevated these individuals to a higher mm-hmm. place inside of uh, just our general social structure. Uh, you know, again, going back to, it's now harder to be a content creator than ever before because you have that direct access. Uh, you know, people would have the opinion of, well, there's other individuals who look up to you. And so the stuff that you says uh, that you say carries weight. And so it's, you know, because this whole social media thing is so new and we're all trying to figure it out. There's just going to be a lot of growing pains. And coming to that middle ground to see, okay, 
is it okay for this person to say this on their own social media or, uh, you know, is it not okay or what's okay to say to them? You know, it's a, it's going to be a hard time to, to go through until the dust is settled. Yeah. And that's one of them. Like, do you guys personally feel that like Roseanne Barr, like what happened with her was justified? I mean, I know she made a really, uh, bad comment, uh, Mm -hmm. but is that her right to do? I mean, she's just an individual. Well, I mean, here's the thing. There's always a, a fine line to walk. Our country is, is founded on the idea of free speech. Everyone is supposed to be entitled to their opinion as long as it is not directly linking itself to a hate type of rhetoric. Um, so it's it's a tiptoe line, right? Uh, I, I, I don't necessarily think that you know, actors, actresses, um, writers, our content creators should necessarily uh, be fired for some of the things that they say because that doesn't that doesn't change the mindset out there. That doesn't open up that conversation really. It just says shut it down and shut up. <laughs> it doesn't lend itself to any kind of progress. It just says shut it down. And uh, you know, I hear people say things like, well, if you should never give a platform to someone who's spewing hate and everything. But sometimes I think if you lend that platform to someone, then you can really see how bad it is. And then you can kind of point to that and say, don't do that. <laughs> that is, and, I, I mean, there's, there's the saying, right? Free speech doesn't mean freedom from consequences. So yeah. I feel like you can say what you want to say, but you also have to be prepared that there's going to be potential yeah. backlash for the things that you say. Like you can't go into work and call your boss a bunch of names and be like, ah, free right. speech. You can't fire me. Yeah. Like life exactly. doesn't work that way. I completely yeah. agree with you. And I think, and I also agree with Christina. I don't, uh, I think she should be allowed to say whatever she says and con- uh, anyone should be able to, allowed mm. to say whatever. Yeah. Um, and of course deal with the consequences. But I also kind of agree with you, Christina, that I don't think that, you know, firing the individual should be the you know, be all end all for, how to handle outbursts like that on social media. Yeah. I, I just think that sometimes I just, and granted I, the, I put an asterisk on this cause I do not agree at all with what Ro- Rove Zambar did or said. I think it was, yeah, likewise. Just like, so I think that was awful. And Agreed. I think that, you know, the consequence of people telling her that she was wrong is the consequences that should have well, been like thrown Starla her said, you know, you have the right to say what you want to say, but at the end of the day, you reap what you sow. Yeah. So, and we got to all be aware of that. That's something that, you know, all of us, whenever we post mm-hmm. anything to social media, needs yeah. to be aware of. So I say, I say, I say this next thing with that in mind is that I really do think that this, this just automatic firing of people doesn't really help the situation at all. I think it really fans the flames. Now, I can't tell a private company what to do with their employees. If they want to fire her, then they're going to fire her or they're going to take away funding or whatever the case like that. That's just what they're going to do. But personally, like there's just been so many people who have been fired for making one comment or something that wasn't, you know, as um, direct as some other things that I've seen on on like social media and stuff. So I'm it just, for me, I have such mixed feelings because I don't agree with what she said at all. And there's a lot of people who say things that I don't agree with at all. But then I look at the standards that we're setting in other places. So a private company fired Roseanne Barr for one tweet. 
And there are several government employees. I'm not going to get too uh, political a big about government this, employee who goes off nonstop and not even just one. And I'm thinking about a big one, but you know, we're not going to go down this rabbit hole too much, but no. just should try to keep it as lo- apolitical yeah. as possible. We're, we're looking at private companies pretty much holding their people to a higher tier than right now our government. And sorry to get political at all, but, but that's for me, the, the problem, I mean, I can, cause I also see their point, right? I mean, if you nip it in the butt by just canning the person, um, then you send in a president for, mm-hmm. you know, doing, doing the, you know, hopefully keeping someone from saying outlandish things on social media to begin with. Um, it's just such a weird thing. I, I mean, I don't have a good solution to that well, at all. You know, I actually was thinking about this story that came out. So there's a video that came out of this employee at Ch- uh, Chipotle who was kicking people out and saying, I know you guys are going to dine and dash and all this kind of stuff. And the, and the guys who were videotaping that were saying, Oh, is it because of our skin color? Right. So they're immediately putting it to that. She was discriminating against them. Later, it comes out that those guys were known, like posting it on their own social media, that they were known to dine and dash different places and that they had at that exact restaurant before. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think this is probably beyond the scope of our, yeah, our regular bit. book podcast. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, I understand completely. But that's that's kind of what I think about it is that. You want to talk about knee-jerk reactions. That's what's been happening is that these kind of knee-jerk reactions towards these kind of things are happening. And sorry, yeah. that's not, that's my take. No, I mean, I understand that. It's hard to know 100% of what everything, you know, everything that's going on in a situation without being privy to it. Well, I just, I kind of wish I would see more stories come out of something happening and people taking their time to investigate what happened. Yeah. That's, I think that's the... I think that's the point I was trying to get at earlier. Wasn't Roseanne taking Ambien? <laughs> that was her excuse, I believe, was that she had taken a sleeping medication and that it clouded her judgment and she wrote oh, that. How much Ambien, check that, girl? How much Ambien? You ambient? really might want to check that bottle to see if racism is a side effect of Ambien. <laughs> I don't think it is. But... I mean, <laughs> maybe they should put that on the side effects. Rare racism. <laughs> yeah, racism. Is just, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's a. Oh, it's it's, it's a slippery crazy. slope that no one has the answers to right now because it's so new, and um, it, it's a fantastic and wonderful oh. thing to have. I um, feel like we need to like open up more podcasts here. We need to have like a political <laughs> podcast. You have to have a gaming podcast. Oh my goodness. A TV show podcast. Let's do it all. Let's do it all. We're going to do it all. You're going to hear from it. us like every single day of the week. Excellent. We've got the time, right? Totally. <laughs> no one's busy. We don't have lives. Job. What are lives? What's that? What's, what's going on? All right. Just so that Christina doesn't go on more tangents and gets into realms that are very much beyond the scope of what this podcast was supposed to be. We're going to end this um, with everyone telling me what they're reading now. And let's start it off with over here. Um, oh my gosh, I forgot the name of the book. What's it called? The one I just bought. <laughs> oh, which one did you just buy? The the sci-fi. I completely forgot. I, you're catching me with my pants down, Internet. <laughs> it's not Leviathan <laughs> Wakes because we. Talked it's not about Leviathan that. Wakes by James S. Corey. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh my gosh, I I'm blanking. Too. Right. Yeah. Uh, <gasps> anyway, I'm reading a book, and it seems pretty nice. <laughs> 
it's about space. I can't wait to read it. Vanguard by Jack Campbell. Thank you. She knows my books better than I do. Sorry, I remember because you went. We went to the uh, bookstore together, and you bought it, and I was so proud. Whoopsie Daisy. Whoopsie Daisy. Yeah, you're proud because I finally tore myself away from Stephen King. <laughs> that is sometimes hard to do. I mean, no, Mr. King has a lot of books. I, I like a lot and of And they are very long. But I was just like, read something else, man. <laughs> good book. Okay. They, they are very good books, I admit. Read Dean Koontz. Um, uh, and I'm reading Kujo, just so everybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're reading Vanguard by Jack Cantbell. Yeah. How are you liking it so far? Uh, it's, it seems great to me. Um I it's been a while since I touched a, a sci-fi, and so it feels it feels really homey. It feels good to go back, <laughs> admittedly. So yeah, it's, from it's from the great. horror realms of <laughs> yeah yeah I pilled myself away from you know yeah I, I, I pilled myself away from uh, what is the the Canobscot River and you know I'm yeah back up in space now. Okay, what about you, Tara? Uh, I am actually uh, rereading Into the Drowning Deep. I am reading Anne Rice's Prince Lestat, and I am currently rereading Dean Kutz's, uh Weave World. Okay. Ooh. Weave World. Is, didn't Clive Baker also? Oh, actually, you're right. That is the I was wrong about to author. Say, I was like, it is Clive Baker. Uh, ugh. I was about to say, because I was like, I Yeah, we're related, just so you guys know. I mean, that's why <laughs> yeah. neither of us can get our crap together. Yeah. If, you know, this, the space-time continuum in between our ears is any indication. You should um, remember the book name. Jeez yeah, Louise. I, I remember the book name, but I was like, it's completely different, different author. Forgive me, authors. I do love you. I just forget. I read too many of you. Uh, no worries. So you're doing a couple of rereads. Something. Yeah, I'm doing They're some rereads. They're some of your favorites? Or? They, they are some of my favorites. I am also uh, embarking again on uh, Ari Salvatore's Demon War Sagas. Oh, very cool. <laughs> Which is his, uh, not his young adult Dritz to Erden series. It is his adult series. Okay. Very cool. Mm. Awesome. What about you, Star? Uh, I was going to start Frankenstein and I had it all downloaded and everything, but Cyber Monday happened and I picked <laughs> up a book on sale that I'd been meaning to grab for a while called The Tallest Rabbit by Rodrigo D. Lopez, who is an amazing DM, by the way, for the popular D&D podcast, Critical Hit. Oh, it is amazing. Um, so it's called The Tallest Rabbit? The Tallest Rabbit, yeah. And it's meant for younger readers, but I think everyone of all ages would appreciate it. It's like an Alice in Wonderland story about a girl who follows a rabbit down a hole near her school and winds up in a world where stories are currency. So to oh. get to make payments, to get out of fights and situations, you tell stories, and each character has like a very different set of stories, different voices. So if you like folklore or, you know, one-shot fairy tales, there's lots of that mixed into this book, and it's really fantastic. I guess my one question, was the author a bard at any point in his D&D campaigns? He was the DM, so he was everything. He was everything. And I was wondering, like, when he's not DMing, if he plays a bard. <laughs> Probably, too. He's an amazing storyteller, so I, I also recommend Critical Hit. <laughs> I, I keep hearing about Critical Hit, and I hear that it's so good. I need to actually watch it, though. That's one I haven't. Yeah, yeah and since D&D got brought up, I'm going to do a senseless plug for Critical Failures, which was an 
awesome book. It's by Robert Bevan. Basically, the characters get sucked into the world of D&D because they pissed off their DM, who happens to have magic dice. Yeah, don't piss off the master of the universe. It was really, really funny. I'm going to have to read both of those. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah, they do. Yeah, The Tallest Rabbit sounds really, really good. I'm going to have to check that one out. Definitely. Yay. So the two books that I'm reading is I'm reading The Hate You Give um, by Angie Thomas, which is a contemporary book where um, this gal named Star, Star, (laughs) okay, Uh, this gal named Star um, ends up seeing her friend uh, get shot by the police. And it's very much a kind of the product of what's been going on where especially black men have been getting shot by the police and kind of high numbers for the past many years. Um, so it's pretty much a story that coincides with that. It's very interesting. Um, I'm, I actually got it off of the app for the library and I hadn't gotten to it yet because I was finishing up a few other books that I had checked out as well. And so I now have like three more days to finish oh, 75% no. of the novel and we're going to see oh, how no. I'm not going to get sleep, I think. And then the second book I'm reading is called King's Hold by D.P. Wollescroft. I think that's how you say his name. Um, but this is a indie fan, uh, fantasy novel that is pretty much the first ever election process of this place called King's Hold. Uh, so it's like the king and queen get murdered by this wizard who had been putting people on the throne for many years. And he was just tired of their shit because they're doing all this horrible stuff. And so he comes in and says, no, this is not happening anymore. You guys are not ruling. Kills them. And then he says, you know what? I'm done with kings and queens. I'm done with monarchies. We're ending the monarchies. Um, so we're going to have a democratic pretty much process. And it's hmm. about that first democratic process in this world. And it's very interesting. Like um, hmm. when, when I got it, my expectation was for it to kind of have that serious tone of fantasy, you know, kind of like. Tolkien and high fantasy. Yeah. That high fantasy, really heavy duty tone, but it actually has a very light tone. Like a lot of parts are just extremely funny. Um, and there are serious parts as well. And it takes on a more serious tone, um, in general, but there are parts that are just really funny. Like they use modern day curse words in it and it doesn't feel too out of place. Um, and like, (sighs) And not, not that other fantasy novels don't have curse words, but this one, he just does it in such a way that you could see people saying it more in this modern time than his fantasy world. Yeah. But it's not as out of place to take me out of the story, if that makes any sense. It does. So those are the two books I'm reading. And then I recently started um, putting all the books that I own but haven't read into my Goodreads, into a show oh, that just says, you know, books I have. I, I think I need to go to like a BA meeting. Books Anonymous. Books Anonymous. Hi, my name is Christina. I'm a book addict. <laughs> I'm a book addict. Yeah. I've bought I have three my books own library. on sale. <laughs> yeah. I feel that way. My bookshelves are so overflowed that I can't. Apparently, I'm like Martin and Tara. I got the name of the book wrong. It's Tale of the uh, Tale of Tallest Rabbit. Tale, Tale of, of Tallest, Tallest Rabbit. Rabbit. Ah, Tale of Tallest. We're just everywhere today. We're, yeah, we're we're everywhere. <laughs> this, this is what happens during the holiday season, by the way. It's because it's because we're, we're we're just flabbergasted with all the 
Bad things going on. Also, we, we talked about Star Wars earlier. I'm sorry. I also have to say, because uh, we were talking about Star Wars specifically for an author. Yeah. Um, Timothy Zahn. He came out with the Thrawn series oh, way back in the day. You've been on the Thrawn series. I am digging the Thrawn series. Love the Thrawn series. Well, it just, the, the, the he just came out with a new one because it's the, uh, they kind of like, Disney flushed the expanded universe down the toilet. Yeah, they're like, it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. And so they're kind of like revamping it. And so they, they asked Timothy Zahn to come back and do Thrawn again. It's amazing. Anyone who's a oh. Star Wars fan, please read Poor it. Poor Disney, fantastic. you can't do that. Chewie got hit by a moon. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> all right, so I think that's all we have for today. Um, I'll post... Um, a couple of links of some of the books we've mentioned as far as what we're reading, especially the um, Tale of the Tallest Rabbit and Critical Failures, if you guys are interested, because those so- just sound great They're if amazing. you're D&D fans. Um, so I'll put those links down in the description of the episode. Timothy's on. Timothy's on and his Thrawn series, if you're interested in the Thrawn series. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. And may you get lost in the book. And yes, we were talking about Donald Trump, just so everyone knows. Oh just God. getting that out there. <laughs> we were talking about him. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Hashtag spoiler, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. 